You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's good to be here with all of you today. Some of those songs, if you're a fan, those are going to be stuck in your head all day long. We're really glad you're here with us today. If you're visiting and watching maybe at home or somewhere down the road, we're really glad you're tuning in for today. So this whole idea, somebody came up to me at the conference and said, so are you doing this whole Made for Mondays thing because you did the conference? Yes. But anyway... The whole idea here, though, is I've been doing a lot of studying about the place of work in our lives, and God keeps showing me more and more in his word. So you need to know something. If you're visiting with us today and you're not sure who Kingsway is or who God is, one of the things is we just love God. We love to study his word. So we open his word. I like to take the trail, as I like to joke, over the river through the woods to get to where we're going. I want to give us a foundation for something, an understanding of it, and then hopefully by the end go, now let's all walk away and try to apply this. And this is going to feel a lot like that. Because if you weren't here last week, this one won't make a lot of sense to you, but I'll do my best to bring you up to speed quickly. And it's like this. Yesterday, I went on this bike ride with my kids, and we went down to the Washington Township Park threw on our swim clothes, and we're going to just play in the stream. Except just recently, I went and bought these little $10 cheap fishing poles for my boys. Like just little, because I don't know if they're going to like it or not. So somebody invited us in our church out to their place, and they have a lake, and he's like, Matt, they can't go wrong. So we caught fish all day long there. And now I know we're going to the Avon Town Park where everybody's already fished, everything gets out of there, but we're going to go anyway, and my boys really want to do this, and we're going to ride our bikes, and guess who has to carry all the fishing poles? Moi! And I can envision in my head, because I know nothing about fishing. I've caught a frog, I've caught a duck, I've caught a goose. I don't know anything about fishing. I'm envisioning that I'm going to be riding my bike, and one of those hooks is going to pop free on the pole, and it's going to end up on my leg. And I have in my mind, see, you do too now, I'm pedaling, and what's going to happen to that hook? So you can get that out of your mind now, and we'll move on. So my genius idea was to go get Velcro straps and put them on the bars of my bike and just wrap it around. 18 times, as tight as I possibly can, especially around the hook, and hope that even if it does pop out, it catches in there first and not in my flesh. And all was good until uh, I hit a hole and my son cut me off the same moment and I fell on my bike. And forget the fact that my foot was caught in the spoke and it was twisted and cranked to the side. The very first thing I did was look at my leg and I was okay. I just wanted to freak you out for a second there. Nothing happened. So anyway... I'm standing up here today because that Velcro strap, as you well know, is only useful if what? It's sticky. And it's only useful if it's wrapped around something. It would not be helpful if I were to just lay this across the fishing rod, would it? It'd do nothing. It's the fact that this end sticks to this end and together it creates some sort of tension that puts pressure on it which makes it useful. And last week's sermon and this week's sermon are like that. If you take either one of them out of its context, you will not have the biblical view of life. But it's the two held in tension together that makes it work. Now, the philosophy for this whole series comes from a number of studies that show that you and I all hate Monday. Have you noticed that? There was a study done of 2,000 British people, and in the study, they showed that they spend significantly more time complaining on Monday than any other day of the week. Over 30 minutes of complaining on Monday than any other day of the week, and 
most of it is done in the morning. And anybody here who can relate, just say amen. amen. Okay, you didn't do a very good job listening to last week's message. I'm just joking. So here's the thing. Here's my theory as we go into this. I think part of the reason why we all hate Mondays is because we see our work life as the thing that we have to do so that we can get to the weekend and live the life that we really want to live. So that when we get to the weekends, we go hard, we go fast, we don't rest, we don't take it easy, so when Monday comes, we're dreading it. Does that sound about like you? It's like, uh, I need one more day in my weekend. When you come back from vacation, do you need a vacation from your vacation? Anybody? Yes, because you go hard, you go fast, you spend a lot, and you get done, you're like, oh, I'm just so worn out. What I want to show you today, we're going to open up God's Word now, so if you have a Bible, I would grab, just encourage you to grab it, open it, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't know how to use a Bible, no worries, everything's going to be on that screen over there, and we're just going to take a look at everything that God's Word has for us. Ready? All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, very end of Genesis 1. God has created everything there is. We're going to look at that in a second. And then he said, God saw all he was made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. He saw all that he'd made. It was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, if you don't know the days of creation, perhaps you weren't here last week. You don't know your Bible. This is not about how long did it take God. We're not even getting into the whole like science thing. I just want to look at the Bible for a second for what it says. Here's a little graph I created for you. We showed it to you last week. And it just kind of walks you through day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. On days one through three, God organizes. On days four through six, he gives everything meaning and purpose. And there's this kind of uh, rhythm to it. He creates the light, it's good. Uh, he creates the, separates the land from the water, it's good. Plant life comes up, it's good. Sun, moon, stars, it's good. You get the point. I don't have to go through all of them. He does it, he does it, it's good, it's good. The only time anything was not clarified as good, it doesn't say it's not good, is here on day two because he creates something and it doesn't have a meaning or a purpose yet. And what we said last week, in case you missed last week, is God created you for a meaning. He created you for a purpose. He created you to do something. In fact, we see in the next chapter, we'll get to that briefly in a moment, God actually created the first work. Work is not a result of the curse. So if you don't know the biblical motif, the biblical motif is that God created this world and it was beautiful and it was good. And in fact, as he said in verse 31, it was very good. But then we ruined it by sinning on God's great earth. And there's this tension in the scriptures between God's world, which wants to be good for us, but sin has subjected it to suffering. So therefore we suffer along with it. And you'll notice on day seven, God rests. So again, at the end, here on verse 31, God saw all he made, and it was very good. Not just good, 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 very good. Because everything had its place, its meaning, and its purpose, including Adam and Eve, which were made here, right before he said that. Now, that is relevant because we see a pattern from God for life. Take a look with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he did what? Rested. From what? Now let's just stop before we dig into that for a moment. I can only imagine how exhausting it must be 
to build black holes or quasars, or pulsars, and stars, and galaxies, and mosquitoes. I mean, that took some intense thinking, like, why do I want to do this? I don't know. I can only imagine how exhausting it must be to build rivers and streams and fish. I can only imagine. But the scriptures teach us over and over and over again that God is omnipotent. You know what that word means? All, omni, potent, powerful. So God is all powerful. So is it just that the universe was such a massive undertaking that God ran out of energy? Nowhere is this affirmed in the scriptures. Nowhere. The idea here is not that God, he just had it. He was out of energy and he needed a break. In fact, and we'll look at a few of these throughout the scriptures when it refers back to this passage and also in Genesis 1 that God rested on the seventh day. When it tells us all of this stuff, never once are we told that God was tired There is a huge difference between resting because the work is done and resting because you're tired. Now, are you God? This would be a good time if you're not sure to just say, I'm going to wait for the answer. (laughs) One of the ways that you can know you're not God is do you get tired? Now, I realize when I was, okay, when I was 23, it was a couple years ago, when I was like 23, I was a little older than that. I guess I was probably closer to like 25 or 26. My wife and I bought our first house and the way they sold houses then, I'm not sure now, they didn't come with a yard. They didn't come with anything. They put some stuff in the front, basic in the front and everything in the back you had to do on your own. Well, that was exciting to me. So I'd work, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I had no kids, so it was different, but I'd just come home and, and move rock and, and dig stuff and work all day, all night, go to church, work hard, come back. Like, it was just like, it was great for me. I had endless energy until about two weeks would hit and then I would crash for like two straight days. I would just sleep and then I'd get back up and I'd do it again. But the point was, sooner or later, I would crash. God never crashes. He's resting, not because he's tired. He's resting because he's done. The work is done. And now he's moving into a new phase. And that phase is to partner with us on his beautiful earth. So God blessed the seventh day, the what day? The seventh day. And he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This pattern becomes a repeating pattern throughout scripture. And I wish I had time. You ever, you ever see those little like geode rocks? It looks like a rock until you split it open. Then on the inside, there's like all these crystals. So a few weeks ago, my, my sons and I, we were down to the same stream and we were playing. And then my son was walking towards me. And I don't remember, he built something on the ground. He's like, watch dad. He's like, he's like, beat a kid, right? And, um, and I look down, I'm like, hey, buddy, look at that rock. That's really kind of cool. And he's like, what? And he picks it up. He's like, I don't see anything. And we pick it up and it just looks like a tan rock on the outside. But you flip it over and on the inside, it's like, a, it's a geode. It's one of those like crystallized on the inside. I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. We found our own like out in nature. Like I've bought those in the store before, but I've never found one. That's so cool. We're high five and we go home. He shows mom. We're all excited, right? This is so cool because when you pick up that rock, if you look at it at this angle, you see the crystals. And if you look at it at this angle, you just see kind of a flat back. And if you look at this angle, it's kind of rounded. And if you look at this angle, it's got some tan on it. And it's a different shape and color and size and angle and thing if you keep staring at it. And the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest is a lot like that. I'm not joking when I say we could easily spend 10 hours studying this subject. We're only gonna do about eight of them today. I'm going to talk as fast as I usually do, and we'll get through about a third. 
We're not going to have time to do that. But boy, is this such a big deal. And one of those little things, if you take the rock and turn it and look at it for a minute, one of those things you see is the number seven throughout the scriptures means wholeness or completeness. Not perfection, but wholeness or completeness. God completed his work on the sixth day, so he rested on the seventh. And that pattern is given to us over and over and over again. But I want you to see something. Adam and Eve come at the very end of the sixth day. I don't mean like the last minute, but somewhere in the second half of the sixth day. And the seventh day comes and God looks at them and says, enjoy, I'm taking today off. Now, could you imagine? I just want you to imagine. God takes Adam and he brings Adam from, it says, from the dirt, from the ground himself. And when he breathes life into Adam and he animates his body, filling it with energy and, and spirit and wind and breath, all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Adam comes alive, could you imagine for a moment him just going, wow, he's never seen a bird. Now we know when God made Adam, he didn't make him as a baby and like feed him and you know, he got to change his diaper and all that stuff and wait for him to grow up. He made him as a man. And there was a certain amount of wisdom and knowledge and understanding that came with being a man. How much? I don't know any more than you do. Did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. We'll get to that some other day. But I know this. When God made Adam, he had some sort of faculties to him and processing and understanding. And the beauty of that is, can you imagine Adam looking around and seeing a bird for the first time and a lion for the first time and a bear for the first time and a tiger for the first time and a whale for the first time and a fish for the first time and a tree for the first time and a flower for the first time and a honeybee for the first time and whatever it is that he saw exactly in the garden, just going, whoa, whoa, look at that. Oh my goodness. It's like taking my kids to the stream. And he's coming alive in this moment. And God says, let's just take the day off. Now, maybe Adam's going, but God, what, there's so much to do. Yeah, I know. But I've already done it all. Because remember, as we said last week, God built the first garden. He placed Adam in that garden. I've already done all the work, Adam. The trees are already producing fruit for you. Eat, enjoy, relax. In fact, here's your bride, Eve. And it says, and I think it's Genesis 2, 26, they were naked and had no shame. Enjoy, be fruitful and multiply. This day, the first day you've ever had, is not a day of work. This day, the first day you've ever had, is a day to connect with me and to connect with each other. The very first day for humans is filled with connections with God and with each other. All the work was done. Are you with me? Now, this is important because if we don't lay this foundation, you won't understand the rest of what we need to say. The problem is it didn't stay that way, right? But let's get to that. Let's wait a minute. The beauty of this, I want to show you something. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the very next chapter, is uh, we find that God comes down often out of heaven and walks with Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis 2, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Number one, we get that God probably did this often with Adam and Eve. God would take on flesh. Do you see a picture of anybody in that? And walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they would dwell in the garden and hang out and talk and, God, tell me more about these birds. Tell me more about these. And they would have a relationship together. 
But for the first time ever, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. And the reason that they're hiding from God is because sin has ruined everything. Everything. So everything was easy. The trees produced fruit. Everything, all the work was done. It was easy work. There was no weeds. There may not even have been mosquitoes. True story. But whatever exactly is going on here, everything is broken. And see, the problem is, while this was the ideal, it's not, it's not where we live today. See, in this same chapter, Adam and Eve did the very thing God asked them not to do. They disobeyed God. They acted like they were their own gods. They could look at the creation and know they didn't do it, but for a moment, they forgot that God knew more than them. And so they stopped trusting that God would provide and take care, and that when God said do, they would do, and when God said don't, they shouldn't. And the problem for most of us is that we also struggle with this. We think we know more than God. When I joked earlier about, you know, do you think you ever get tired? Do you, you ever think you're like God? The reality is we all do. The reason why we keep working beyond our capacities is because we think if we don't, there won't be enough. We think we might get fired. We think we might lose our jobs. We think the whole company might go away. If we dare take a day off, if we dare say no to our kids playing sports seven days a week, if we dare just rest, what might go wrong? And all of this came as a byproduct of that. Now we are striving so hard to compete with everybody else and each other and some thought or plan or idea that's out there that we are no longer walking with God and each other like we're supposed to. In fact, now because of sin, is the way I'd say it, work is hard. Work is toil, work is identity, and work is necessary. Instead of work being this life-giving, life-fulfilling, simple thing that we do just to enjoy life together, it's now hard work and part of the problem. It's this phrase right here, it's identity. How many of us identify our success in life by how good our business life is going, how much money we make, how big our house is, the car that we drive, the name brand on our clothes or shoes or whatever it is? And now we have to keep striving to do and become and achieve and have and own. And it's all wrapped up in this confusing thing that sin has created in us. In fact, I found, it was from an article at HuffPost, um, this quoted this psychotherapist. And I thought this was a beautiful thing, the way she just affirmed what I was already saying. So she has to be right. But here is this quote from, I'm joking, sorry. (laughs) This quote from Meg Gitlin. She said this, people like to think of weekends as a time of rest and rejuvenation when in reality, many of us cram as much in as possible, eating and drinking too much and going to sleep later than usual. Therefore, on Mondays, we are more tired than we'd like to be, which is directly correlated to low mood. Everybody's working for the weekend. Anybody? Got to be over a certain age to know that one. (laughs) And herein lies the problem, which makes resting really, really hard. Because of sin, rest is hard to find. Rest is hard to achieve. Rest in who and where we are is never accomplished. And yet, rest is necessary. Let's just self-evaluate for a second before we go start making some applications. 
How many of you rest? Don't raise your hand, just ask yourself. How many of you rest on a weekly basis? One day, 24 hours, set aside, don't care if it's Saturday. Do you take one day and set it aside for the Lord? For you, for your family, for your connections, for your relationships. When you do, have you ever sat down and thought about what is acceptable and unacceptable on that day? Have you ever given any thought to what you can do and can't do on that day? If so, do you allow other things to creep into that space because somebody else told you you had to? Do you feel okay with telling coaches no? Do you feel okay with telling your boss no? Do you feel okay with telling your spouse no? Do you feel okay with telling your kids no? Do you feel okay with telling your grass no? Okay, maybe that one doesn't work, but have you ever sat down and given thought to what you can do and can't do, will do and won't do on that day? Now, what I wanna do is I'm gonna take you through a series of verses quickly, and I wanna show you a couple nuggets of where, what we could do to kind of help guide ourselves if we were to actually practice seventh day rest. Here we go, you ready? This comes from later on, what happens is the Israelites end up as slaves in captivity. And in slaves, they never got a day off, never got a day off. They were brutalized. They were constantly told to produce more with less resources. Sound like your life at all? Produce, 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 produce. Work harder, work longer, do it. And oh, by the way, in their situation, they weren't compensated for it. It was like, do it or die. Those are your choices. Sometimes work can feel that way. What happens is God takes the Israelites out of Egypt and he brings them into a land and he's going to free them. And as a part of that, he gives them something called the covenant. Now the covenant is different than a constitution. It's not, a, it's not spelled out enough. There's not enough detail. In fact, we often get, I don't want to say conflicting, but different passages that tell us a little bit more of the story. And it's like, I want you to work this out in your everyday life. One of those principles comes in Exodus chapter 20. You may remember something called the 10 commandments. You ever heard of that before? where Moses comes down, he's got these three tablets with five commandments each, and he drops one. It's from a movie, nobody? It's not a good movie. Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, God says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do, how much work? All your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do what? Any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Let that one sink in for a second. No one. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. In Deuteronomy 5, the same passage, I don't have this up here for you, but I just want you to see, it's a, it's a parallel passage, and it says this, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, your daughter, your male, female servant, nor your ox, or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 
Remember, you were once slaves, overworked, underpaid. Anatavka, you desperately, that's from the filler on the roof, you desperately needed a day off. So God freed you and he gave you a day off. So don't you dare treat the people in your home like they treated you. Real quick. If you're a boss, if you own, manage, lead a company, don't you dare do to your employees what somebody else has done to you. That's what he's saying. In fact, Leviticus 23 even builds on this more. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath, rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Notice, it is a day of rest and a what? Sacred assembly. What happened is this. God instituted in Leviticus 23 a series of seven feasts and festivals. How many? Why do you think that is? They're basically, you've got the weekly one of Sabbath. Every seven days, stop working. Cease everything. Gather together and worship me. Just gather together and have a party in my name. Now, they did this from sundown to sundown because if you go back and read Genesis 1, it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. We tend to live our lives, there was morning and there was evening, but your body's natural circadian rhythm is actually there was evening and there was morning. And if you'd learn to start thinking a little different that way, it would probably change the way you'd actually act out in life. But I'm not gonna be a legalist about that because I don't care, but you'll actually find the pattern working a little better with the way God created you and made you. Now, coming back to this for a second, what we see is the Hebrew calendar is split in half with three festivals in the first half, three festivals in the second half, and those seven total festivals, when you put the Sabbath in there, are so powerful because they show us weekly and monthly and quarterly and yearly, God's vision for work is that it would not encompass everything every facet of your life. God's vision for work is that you would have constant, ongoing, regular connection with him and with others, and it would be built into the rhythms. In fact, the second three festivals begin on the first day of the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. It's almost like God is trying to get you to understand, I want you to be whole. I want you to be complete. I don't want you to be burned out. And every time I talk to a friend of mine from this church who is just exhausted and they work sun up to sundown, day after day after day after day after day, I wanna grab them by the shoulders and I wanna look them in the eye and I don't wanna yell because they've had more than enough of that in their life. I just wanna look at them and say, you are worth a day off. You're worth it. You are worth a vacation. You're worth it. And your spouse and your children and your friends are worth your time and your energy. And if you need to downsize your house or downsize your car or downsize your schedule to make those things happen, then do it and do it now. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? but loses his soul. And here's the thing. We live in America. And I think it's the greatest country, not just on the face of the planet, but perhaps other than what God tried to build in Israel, perhaps the greatest country ever. And I love America. But we got some stuff we need to deal with. 
And one of the things that in a, as a country we need to deal with is there is this constant drive for more and better. Constant drive for more and better. And that's not all bad. Remember last week, I talked about working hard because I believe in it as a biblical principle. But working hard in the tension of rest. And it's gonna be difficult. But you've got to find a way to do it. And here is part of your answer. All of the feasts and the festivals point us to Jesus, all of them. Again, this is where if I pick up that geode and I turn it and look at it, and if I had another hour, I could go through every single festival and show you quickly. But let me just give you a couple highlights and then read a few passages. Number one, the Passover. It's the first of the seven after the Sabbath. And the Passover is a powerful thing. It comes actually because the blood of the lamb is spread over the doorpost right before God frees everybody. And we're told that Jesus' blood frees us from our sin, covers us like the blood of the lamb over the doorway. Jesus was crucified on Passover. And every once in a while, the calendar aligned so that Passover and Sabbath landed on the same day, just like the year that Jesus was crucified. It's not an accident. The Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days following Passover. So it's an eight-day festival. They party, they eat, and they drink. The problem is all their bread has, bread has to be gluten-free. There's nothing, there's no leaven in it. And it's to show us that when Jesus would come, he would live without sin. So now, every time we gather together and celebrate communion, we eat, you don't just eat regular bread, we eat bread without leaven in it. We eat bread because the idea is we're celebrating Jesus who had no sin in him. Do you see the connections? And it's the same as the Passover. And I wish I had time to go through all, it would be a fascinating sermon series to do sometime. But the first fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the, feast, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, all of them point us specifically to Jesus. Because the festivals were supposed to point to something and someone bigger than just this life. And if we forget that, then God becomes one of the many things that we must do in his life. But when God is building a calendar, he's like, I want the whole thing centered around me. So once a week, you're going to gather together with other people who love me and just celebrate me. And then we're going to have days and weeks and whole months where you're just going to do this. In fact, one of the things I didn't say is every seven years, you're supposed to re free every slave among you. Just free them all. Let them all be free. Doesn't matter what they did to get into slavery. Let them go. And every seven years, you're going to let the land lay rest. How can we let the land lay rest? We're an agricultural society. Oh, because I'm going to provide for you like I did in the garden, like I did in the desert, and like I will today. I'm not saying take a year off, okay? But when you understand God's economy, it is all based on faith and trust. God has your back. This is why Hobby Lobby could close on Sunday. And that other company that sells chicken, we aren't even gonna mention them because every Sunday I'm like, ooh, you know what I want for lunch today? And the reason they do that is because they believe that God will provide. And somehow, even though all these other fast food chain restaurants don't do that and work their people hard, they don't seem to keep up, do they? It makes no sense, does it? Logically, it makes no sense. How can you take a day off and make just as much money or more? Because it's a God principle. 
God will provide. God will take care of you. And here's the bigger picture. He does it through his son, Jesus. Jesus shows up and he starts healing on the Sabbath and and the Pharisees rebuke him. How dare you work on the Sabbath? Don't you know? And Jesus, in in Mark 2, 27 to 28, says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And that's kind of confusing at first, but just break it down for a second. God set a day aside for you. He didn't set you aside for the day. God knew before sin had entered everything, God knew that you were gonna need this. God was already building it into your life and schedule. You're gonna need a day to connect with me and connect with others. I'm building this into the rhythm of your life. But then he goes on, he says, look, but I'm allowed to work on the Sabbath because I'm Lord. That's what he's saying. So I'm Lord even over the Sabbath because at the end of the day, it's all about me anyway. It all points to me. Are you with me? Where am I going with this? Well, I'm gonna have to do one, two, skip a few if you're following along in the app. But I just want you to think for just a moment. True Sabbath includes resting, feasting, fasting, worship, and community. Those are the things we see consistently in the Old Testament. Resting, feasting, fasting, worship, community. Do you have one day a week, a couple weeks a year, regular rhythms to accomplish this? If you don't, and your life is out of whack, what would it take for you to start doing this now? In fact, what could you do to daily implement Sabbath or rest into your life daily? Could it mean not binge watching Netflix at night? Going to bed at a better time? Dialing back your caffeine so that you maybe only have it first thing in the morning? Oh, I said it. (laughs) By the way, it'll take probably weeks for your body to adjust, not hours, not days. What about weekly? Could you actually take a 24-hour period and set it aside? Now, I try to do this. For me, this is somewhere around sundown Friday to, to sundown Saturday. It's in that ballpark. Once Saturday evening around five or six o'clock begins, I'm thinking about this morning. I'm beginning to make changes and edits and making just changes. And I don't go back home and I usually nap around two o'clock on the afternoon on Sunday, but it's from about five o'clock on Saturday till about two o'clock on Sunday. I'm just, I'm, I'm working. It's like a full, 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 full day for me. And I say that because I had to figure out my rhythm. 99 times out of 100, I say no to every offer for fun on Saturday evening after five. There are exceptions. I make exceptions because it's part of my quarterly or yearly rhythm, but I just have to because I've learned I don't have what it takes on Sunday to serve you if I don't. So my 24-hour period comes from Friday to Saturday. Where is yours? Quarterly, how are you setting aside time? It could be a wedding, um, it could be a birthday, it could be an anniversary. What is it that you're setting aside to connect with God and connect with others? Build God into the moment. One of the things I tried to do on like Mother's Day this year is we gathered around and and Patty Beavers came over to our house and um, my mother-in-law was there and my boys and I, we all just went around. We just said, what are we so thankful? What do we love about these amazing women that God has placed in our lives? 
Like we just built God into the thing that's already happening on the calendar. It doesn't have to be harder than that. It could be Thanksgiving time, going around the table. Let's all celebrate for a minute. Thank you, God, for all that you've given us and done. What, how are you building that into what you're doing? And yearly, how are you doing this again on a yearly basis of the feast and celebrating Sabbath? What are you doing to bring God and connection into your life? And I don't know exactly what God is saying to you, but I know he wants to do it. I want to say one last, one last thing. In the book of Hebrews, chapter four, the Hebrew people, the entire book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people who believed in Jesus, but are walking away because life is hard. And the entire book of Hebrews is basically saying, where will you go? Where will you find a sacrifice better than Jesus? Where will you find a high priest better than Jesus? Where will you find a holy mountain better than the one that Jesus will take us to? And it says basically the same thing over and over and over again. Are you going to go to the angels? He's bigger than the angels. You're going to go back to Abraham? Abraham is the one who looked to him. You're going to go to Moses? Good luck. Every chapter is another one, another one, another one, another one, because the writer is just trying to say, there's nowhere else you can go to find the life that you're looking for except in him. And then in Hebrews chapter four, he says this in verse one. Therefore, since the promise of and sorry, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you found, be found to have fallen short of it. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is, I understand life is hard. I understand it's tempting. I understand there's pressures untold. I understand all of that. However, don't miss Jesus in the midst of it. Don't miss out on Jesus because he still has an offer for you for eternal rest. And this is that thing that I have to say, but please listen in for just one moment, please. Nothing breaks my heart more as a pastor than when I go to a funeral and I'm doing a funeral for a man or a woman who does not know God and everybody knows it. And they look at the, the body and they're telling the stories of that person's life and they say something like, You've entered into your rest. No, they have not. The writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us there is a rest that is waiting for us. God wants to restore everything like he had it in the garden. He showed it to us in Israel, in the book of Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. You get an idea for God's concept of work and rest. And one day, for all who believe in Jesus Christ, he is the real Sabbath. He is the real rest. He is the one who sets things free. He is the one who redeems. Everything has always been pointing to him. And if we miss out on that, then we're going to miss out on our real rest. And my anxiety for some of you is that you'll never enter into Jesus. You'll just start taking a day off. But your striving will not have ended because you've not tethered your soul to him. Our true rest can come in this life because we can go to bed every night and say, you promise me, you promise me, Jesus, that you will meet all my needs. You promise me that if the birds and the flowers survive, I'm gonna make it okay. So I'm gonna go to bed tonight trusting you're gonna take care of that. I don't know how, but I'm gonna give you the glory when you do. But not only that, you promise me that even if the worst happens in this life and I die from COVID or something else, I will enter into an eternal rest because of Jesus Christ, my Lord, and that's why he goes on in verse nine and he says, therefore, 
There, sorry, remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For who? For the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is, let all of us enter through Jesus and we will find our rest. And we live in the land of the already and the not yet. We can anchor our soul to his, our identity to his. We could trust him to provide for us so we could take days off here, but it's still gonna be hard. There's still gonna be temptations. It's still gonna be frustrating. Work is still toil here on this side of heaven. But one day on our last breath, God will redeem it all and all things will be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you into the rest of God through Jesus. Just please don't miss out. You can respond at the end of the service when we're done worshiping. Just come down and talk to one of our people wearing a Connect lanyard. Or you can always text the number 317-565-4911. Just text the word Connect and we'll tell you how to connect with Jesus. I want to pray over you, pray a blessing, and then we're just going to sing. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I feel like there's so much to say about Sabbath. It's so cool a concept to study and look into. God, thank you for using all of it, leveraging all of it to point us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us, Father, to rest in you, to anchor our soul to you, to tether our lives to you. God, I pray over all of those in this room and listening online who love you and serve you. God, I pray that you would help them to care for their families, care for their lives by resting, by taking a day, weeks, months, by using their vacation, by saying no to their bosses, by doing whatever needs to be done to make it a reality. But God, may they rest. God, I pray that you would provide for them and show them it will be okay. Even if they should lose this job, you will provide another because you are a good and faithful God. So God, please help us to hold these things in tension, to work hard and to rest hard. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said.